This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass. Matt Ryan today is looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it, and in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, joined by Nick Stevens, my co-host. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Don, and a happy Week 10 to you. A Week 10 it is, and I feel like we made the turn. We're on the back nine now. Uh, NFL season, 17 weeks, nine down, eight to go. Uh, to me, though, this is when you know when the races start to get interesting. The World Series is over. Um, November is here. The leaves are falling. And we have a pretty wide-open football season in both the NFC and the AFC. The NHL and the NBA are in full swing. Right. They're there if you want them. But right now we're hoping my want, wish, and hope is just that we can have distraction free, hopefully mostly injury-free football, and concentrate on the good teams, forget about the rest, and actually just uh, enjoy some football with the leaves on the ground and the smell of pumpkin spice in the air. I think we have a lot of interesting stories going on as far as teams, you know, that haven't won in a while winning this year, not not just Jacksonville, Buffalo. Um, the Rams. The Rams. And the Eagles. How about the Saints? Been a while How about the, the Saints? Saints? Yeah. Are, are the Saints now the team doing the best, getting the least amount of national coverage? Probably, yeah. They probably deserve that. Six in a row. Um, and really, they look you know, they look legit. They're winning even when Drew Brees doesn't have a monster day. And that's that's it's been a while since we could say that. I'm not sure we could ever say that. but Maybe um, from the national perspective, we can just sort of write off, and, and regionally speaking, we can write off that week two performance where they lost to the Pats at home by 16 as, well, you had arrested Tom Brady 10 days after an opening night embarrassment. That was Brady's wrath. Since then, addition out. by subtraction, farewell Peterson and hello Kamara. Well, they certainly figured out the, their backfield finally with Kamara and Ingram both producing um, and that defense, you know, Marshawn Lattimore might be the defensive rookie of the year at cornerback. Yep. Um, got a pretty mean shove from Mike Evans of the Bucks the other day, but um, that tells you he's probably doing his job and getting into people's heads, which you want your defensive backs doing. But, um, yeah, the Saints, I think, I think they're for real. As I scope out that division, I, I see them uh, as – you know, as legit as anybody, I think it's going to come down to Carolina and them. And don't forget, they already went to Charlotte and won. Right. So all they have to do is hold serve at home, and arguably that's that's the key to winning that division. Sad day in baseball yesterday. We just want to touch upon it. Roy Halladay, the great Blue Jays, Phillies pitcher, dying in a plane crash at the age of 40 off the west coast of Florida, not, not far from where I uh, grew up and lived in the St. Pete, Tampa Bay area. But... um. Man, what is it with baseball players flying their own planes and, and, and meeting an early death? I, uh, Corey Lytle comes to mind in 2006, but I remember, I'm old enough to remember Thurman Munson in August 1979 on a day off, uh, crashed his own plane, I believe trying to 
take off uh, in Canton, Ohio. And um, what a story that was because he was really one of the two best catchers in the game and, and played for a marquee franchise and was the captain of the Yankees. You have to wonder if after such a prolonged period of life where they're in control, not only just seeking thrills but in command of all emotional output and outcomes, if doing something like flying a plane isn't uh, maybe a way for them to chase adventure or be in command of something the same way they used to be when they were such dominant figures Com competitors, yeah. and competitors yeah. on the mound. Roy Halladay, the outpouring across Major League Baseball. Of course, we up here, Red Sox fans, remember him just giving the Sox fits time yeah. and time again. Epic battles with all of your favorite Red Sox pitchers over the years. Pedro Martinez was shaken. His former Phillies teammates shaken. Everyone's so set. 40, way too early. Just Everyone said he was as great as you thought he was on the mound. He was better. A better guy off yeah. the mound. I, uh, I can't. I was thinking last night as I absorbed the news, I can't remember hearing anyone ever say a bad word about Roy Halladay. And I'm sorry, that just doesn't happen. Like, Unless he beat your team. Well, I mean, And yeah, those were in jest. But it was in respect, I guess. Yes. But, you know, but... but that just doesn't happen. I mean, you know, you can be a great player. You can be Pedro Martinez. He made plenty of enemies over the years. He did a lot of things that we'd say, eh, Pedro, you might. Halliday was one of those guys that just seemed like it was universal. Everybody loved playing with him, uh, respected his talent. And he did seem, he was one of those guys when he was on the mound, you knew you weren't, he weren't in for this roller coaster ride. You knew what you were going to get. And he was going to, he was going to pound the strike zone. He was going to challenge you, and you were in for a rough night. You might beat him, but you would ne you would never blow him out or rough him up. You might lose um, three two or win three two, but you weren't going to um, you weren't going to have too much success against Halliday. No, he was. Uh, you don't get guys like that often enough anymore. You don't just get like, well, uh, we're good for eight innings. Yeah, it was like a right. In a lot of ways, he was like a slightly less gifted, but more competitive right right-handed Kershaw. Yeah. Just like, okay, well we're good for at least 7 today. Right. No, I remember I actually lived in the Philadelphia area uh when he was with the Phillies. Um well, I moved there in early 12, so I caught his last 2 years with the Phillies, but I guess the memory I have the most is is the no-hitter in the playoffs against the Reds. First playoff start. Yeah. No-hitter. It's uh tough tough to beat, but mm. he was as dominant as I ever remember that night. Um, and that was, um, yeah, it was right there at Citizens Bank Park. I think it got the series off. Yeah, it was game mm -hmm. one. He would have started, obviously. But anyway, um, another quick uh, baseball topic before we move on to the NFL is I just wanted to get your impressions of the Alex Cora introductory press conference on Monday. What did you see and hear, and did you like it? This is the, you can see me taking my two hands and just pushing all of my invisible chips into the center of the table. Yeah, you're in. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, we talked time and again this season about the Sox just missing that guidance, the likability, and the leadership. And clearly, from the get-go, from that picture I showed you before we started the podcast, right. Alex Cora walking like a bad man over David Ortiz Bridge. Now, was Not, that an analogy that he chose I, the bridge to cross? I, I, or what was pro it? Probably metaphor, so. Metaphor. I, I'm just thrilled that he didn't get like Ubered to the front and, you know, like amongst the flat, the flash bulbs and everything. Just like, oh, yeah, thanks, guys. Just walked there like, okay, this is, we're going to do hard work. I'm going to. Took the tea like Governor Dukakis. That's right. One step at a time, guys. I'm going to yeah. lead you. Coming in, you know what? I could, I could, 
I could pick up off the internet that day the the faint whiff of a little World Series swag, which I think this team, yeah. full of young guys with three World Series behind them in recent decade, needs. They need somebody to come in and show them the way. I loved two things. I loved that he focused like a laser on Xander Bogarts. He said, you know, we need him to play better. We're going to make him a better hitter. Like, no more of this ground ground ball 48% of the time. I, I really believe he's going to try to get – Bogarts to hit the ball in the air more. Uh, remember that homer in Game Four that he drove to right field, his first ever to right field in Fenway. So much untapped potential. I think he's going to work wonders with Bogarts and 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 their other young players. And I also like that he just said, you know, a lot of people Boston's a challenge. It's not a challenge to me. And I I didn't hear arrogance or cockiness. What I, what I heard was I'm aware of the environment. I know what I'm signing up for and walking into, and I love that. High degree of affability, control, nice resume, and again, I think it helps a lot that he's been here, gets the tone and the tenor of the town, and instead of falsely embracing the challenge, is more prepared for it than I think a lot of other guys would be. Yeah, I think we'll look back and say that the decision to move on from John Farrell was an an inspired one and an easy one if we knew what was coming with with the Cora tenure. Um, I don't think he's going to win three, four rings or anything crazy, but I do think people are going to look back and say this was the right hire at the right time, right guy, right right time. Someone's going to take control of this clubhouse. John Farrell, unfortunately for all of his missteps and managerial gaffes you know, in the middle of everything has the controversy with the reporter and everything. And while still in controlish, never really had the reins fully grasped. And I think right now Alex Cora can come in and you don't have to do a whole franchise reboot. Just a, just a, a nice palette refresh for everybody. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's move on to uh, a week nine in the NFL. I thought it was pretty interesting. You get half a century hung up on the scoreboard by the Eagles and Rams. Mm-hmm. Half a century does not happen. Randy Moss would have called it something cool like, uh, you know, half a hundred or something. But Eagles and Rams, what do they have in common? Hmm, let's see. They took the quarterbacks one and two in the 2016 draft, Goff and Wentz. That's working out pretty well so far. Do I get a chance or do most of us en masse get a chance now to walk back some of the things we said about Jared Goff over the past 18 months? Absolutely. That's yeah. what, that's why we're here. Okay, I, good. you know, I'm with you too. It was the deer in the headlights line was everybody's favorite line about golf last year. I'm sorry, I blame that Rams coaching staff now. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's almost sort of like if you just like you're out with dad and dad doesn't give you any confidence, but you got a really cool uncle all of a sudden that you can just operate fully and you blossom and comfortably, and, and you blossom, and then dad has to realize like, oh man. I really was the problem. Yeah. Go, son. Go be free. Go, yeah. I, listen, I Are was, you listening, Jeff Fisher? Yeah. Your dad in this no, no. scenario. Yeah, dad, Jeff Fisher. <laughs> Your dad. I learned it from you, dad. Yeah. It, it just, I mean, like 50 points against the Giants. Yeah. In, Giant, in, in MetLife Stadium, or yeah. Dreadlife Stadium yep. as it is now these days. Who would have thought at this point in the season that that stadium comes alive for the Jets and falls asleep or just goes to hell with the Giants. That's why we love the NFL. Oh, man. But well, Goff look, is the real deal. It, my favorite moment was third and 33, the Rams convert. Third, I don't know that I've ever seen. I remember fourth and 26 in that Eagles-Freddie-Mitchell-Packers playoff game. How about fourth and 29 a couple of years ago for the Ravens on the way to their Super Bowl Oh, run? that's right. Save At their, Denver. In, uh, I think it was actually in San Diego. Oh, it was in San Diego, yeah. right. But third and 33, and they hit a screen pass to Robert Woods. He takes it. 
52 yards and a touchdown. The Giants looked like they were just sleepwalking in defense. Then later, a 67-yard bomb to, to Sammy Watkins. Four TDs for Goff. Four TDs passes for Wentz. Uh, oh, by the way, Wentz didn't even have Zach Ertz, his, his top target, Mm-mm. in the lineup. That that really hurt the Eagles. They would have they would have put 70 on the board with Ertz. Shiny new running back, though. Yep. Ajayi. Yep. He looked good. He had a... A crowd-pleasing, what, 46-yard scamper touchdown? Mm-hmm. Um, he really looked like he needed to be taught a lesson. I, I'm serious. If I'm the Eagles, I don't want to take a bye in Week 10. I petition the league to play anybody, a pickup game, just right. to keep it going. Why Why would you want to shut this down right now in Philadelphia? I would not want to stop the show momentum because right now the Eagles each week are probably your surest bet for an overall Three-phase performance. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, they really are. Um, your pick, I remember, NFC mm-hmm. East. I went with the Giants. That's looking pretty good right now. Um, but the Eagles, you know, seven TDs. That just that doesn't – and that was against a defense. Now, I hate the yards allowed being the, the arbiter of the number one defense, but that's how the league does it, yards mm-hmm. allowed. Denver came in number one in the league and – Left there with uh, something less than that ranking, but what a, you know, what a what a fun story to see Wentz and Golf, the top two quarterbacks last year's draft, leading these juggernaut offenses. And you know, oh by the way, the rest of the top five of 2016 it's looking pretty good too. Elliott, Bosa, Jalen Ramsey. That's your top five of the 2016 NFL draft. Cleveland didn't need any part of that, right? No, no. Why would they want that? Uh. Uh-uh. They wouldn't do good with that. <laughs> Bosa is is a stud. Is already won Defensive Rookie of the Year. Elliott, um, we don't even have to say anything more about him. He was leading rusher in the league last year. Jalen Ramsey's a shutdown corner in Jacksonville, and then you've got Wentz and Goff. So we might we might be looking at a thirty for thirty at the top of the uh, twenty sixteen draft. We very well, maybe he was able to get between AJ Green's ears last weekend. He clearly did. How about that? How, how about judging those two guilty equally and throwing them both out? Now, granted, Ramsey gave this really kind of BS little shove at the end of the play, and but Green flipped out and was a clear indication that you're right. He had, he had just been irritated and agitated all game by Ramsey. I think it was the game and a little carryover of a season of – frustration yeah. from the Cincinnati Bengals offense because it has just it just flat out hasn't gotten going and then in the undercard we we had Mike Evans shoving Marshawn Mar- Mar- Lattimore. Lattimore right and and nothing happens there other than a 15-yard penalty see I think the league's got a credibility problem when they have officials who can view those fights so d- dramatically different like two ejections as opposed to a 15-yard penalty um you know the league might come in and clean it up now with with fines, but uh, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. And yet Mike Evans gets suspended, but Green doesn't. Right. Explain that with an MMA style takedown. Right. Explain that well, and hold, punches. Well, hold on a second. Are you saying the NFL has a credibility pro? Whoa, you make sure you don't want to walk that hot take back. I think <laughs> I'm saying they can be inconsistent, and that's it's just wildly as, inconsistent. Just as hot. You could take. put that in the top ten of reasons why fans are frustrated consistently with the NFL. Just make up your mind. If in one game the running shove, the if it, if in one game a WWE style takedown merits a one game suspension, and in the other one somebody gets a suplex, yeah, then that equally should be 
single game suspensions. Why AJ Green wasn't suspended or why Mike Evans was makes no sense to me. Well, and it's the same inconsistency that's driving me crazy with the director of officials, Alberto Riveron, whose calls every week are becoming a little bit more indefensible on replay review. He's now, you know, the grand pooba of replay review in New York. And the calls, you know, that Zach Miller call for the Bears last week and then, uh, you know, the uh, Safarian Jenkins call, the Jets tight end uh, against New England about six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. there, there have been so many calls that just instantly Dean Blandino and Mike Pereira come out and say he was wrong. And again, if the last three guys who have held this job can't agree, how on earth are you, the players, the coaches, and the fans supposed to understand the call? How about in Seattle? getting extra time that was not merited put back on right. the clock at the end of the game so that if their Hail Mary was successful, it actually would have been Fail Mary to the revenge. Uh, yeah, and as I was watching that, as I'm thinking, that's a runoff, that's a runoff, and yet they completely botched that from start to finish, and yet if, if, if Seattle does not miss that, you're right, it is, it is the, um, the, you know, the, the mess of all time that that uh, officiating crew had created. Three things I would like to see going forward from NFL officials. Number one, let's just ditch this whole runoff thing. This is it's getting it's unfair. I know the I, Lions a game. I don't understand I when and when, how and why it should be employed. Number two, we need a clearly defined definition of what is a catch. That's it. We just need to know exactly what is a catch. Good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been hoping for that one for about fifteen years. Exactly. And number three, at this point. Uh, at, at, at this point now, let's just institute you shove somebody, you target somebody, you're in or you're out of the game. Some days they, some days the ticky-tack stuff gets you thrown out, gets you personal fouls. Some days you get to do an MMA-style takedown from A.J. Green, and it's only 15 yards. Let's just, get, let's just get in lockstep about what is and isn't a personal foul or, or get you tossed out of the game. Yeah, I agree. Those three things, and life is cream cheese. Well, Monday night we got a shot of what life <laughs> without an elite quarterback looks like in Green Bay. Um, boy, the Packers. Packers are not the Packers. Not only is their defense could not get the Lions off the field on third down at all. They didn't punt. Detroit did not punt for the first time since Thanksgiving 1971. That's like an early 2000s Peyton Manning versus the Chiefs in the playoffs kind I of know. performance. But from this Lions offense that only has two rushing touchdowns on the season. That's how bad Green Bay's defense is. But even worse, I mean, Brett Hundley played okay, and Mike McCarthy mm. said basically he wasn't the problem, but they just don't have the ability to challenge a defense downfield, and I still saw too much kind of dinking and dunking. Look, I looked at the schedule. Detroit's schedule in the second half is incredibly soft. I mean, I think the Vikings at home – in Detroit, Ford Field is the only game they have left against a team with a winning record. And that means to me, don't forget the Lions have already won in Minnesota 14-7. to The Lions might be going to the playoffs at the top of the NFC North if they take care of business. Well, I'm very happy to see that on Thanksgiving this year, because everybody loves meaningful football on Thanksgiving. Vikings at Lions, 1230 on Thanksgiving Thursday. That's must-watch. I'm going to get my prep work done so that I'm not in the kitchen fiddling around. Everything's going to be set to bake or on warm because I'm not missing a snap of that. That's you, like an early playoff. Yes, I'd cook. Do you cook? I do a lot of cooking. Wow. Yeah. My wife and I don't cook at all. We actually like to go out to a restaurant and have Thanksgiving. Do you meal. really? Yeah. It's kind of cool. Do you guys go out on Christmas, too, for the we, 
for the uh, we pe- usually for the go, Peking duck like in a Christmas no, story? No, no. We, uh, we usually are with my wife's family on Christmas. But actually, last year we had just moved up here, and for reasons I won't go into, but we did not go home to Connecticut for Christmas. So we did go out to eat on re- on uh, Christmas Day, which was kind of interesting. We went uh, was it fun? to Grill 23. It was a great spot. Nice. And, and uh, yeah, it was kind of fun. But anyway, uh, I digress. Let's. Um, That's a pretty easy schedule. You look at it. Browns yeah, look got at you. That. At Bears, home against the, at the Ra- okay. At Ravens is never easy, just because. Right, but th- if you're going to catch the, the Ravens, Dolphins, tell you. this is a four and five Ravens team that can't get much going offensively. They may be out to lunch and uh, kaputs by the time that the Lions get there. So now we uh, we may have to address the situation or the playoff potential of the Lions uh, later on when we play a little. Is it too early with I, Don Banks? I agree. I think that I think they're a f- they're a team that. You know, all three and four, you kind of forget about them. But, man, when I looked at that schedule, I said, they've already beaten Minnesota. So if they can if they can take care of Minnesota and sweep them and they have them at Ford Field, um, they have a path to the NFC North, and it's pretty clear. Another team that I thought last week really let me down was the Bills. I mean, yet again on that Thursday night loss to the Jets, every time I feel like it's such a familiar pattern, every time – I'd get free. They pull me back. Just the opposite. Every time I want to love the Bills, and I want to say that you know this this is real, this is legit. They shrink from the spotlight. Um, they could have been six and two, tied mm-hmm. with the Pats at midseason, and really rolling. And instead, they kind of peed down their leg on national TV and lost to a team they probably should have beat. Okay, but at the same time, this Jets offense, Josh McCown, top. F- top five fantasy quarterback over the past five weeks, consistently putting up numbers. The Jets score at home. Yeah. The Jets move the ball at home. If you're a Pats fan, all of a sudden now seeing what the Jets did on Thursday night football to the Bills makes you feel a little bit better about the Patriots overcoming right. that 14-point deficit. Absolutely. Jets, the Jets are in every game. How about this, Don? If the Jets find a way to, or at least don't have the referees take away the Safarian Jenkins pylon fumble Ruski in the second half at home, and if they don't, if McCown doesn't throw that god awful interception at the end of the fourth quarter against the Dolphins and blow that 14 point lead, the Jets are actually nipping at the heels of the Patriots, contending for first place in the East. A team, everyone ticketed for 0 16. And I know, know ifs and buts are candy and nuts. If they were, we'd all have a great Christmas or whatever that cliche is. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Thanks you for punching that up, Kevin Collins. Yes, Nailed it, it. it, it would have. Uh, yeah, we were so wrong about the Jets, and they are. You know, they look. They're at four and five. They are very much still alive in the AFC Wild Card race, so they're not. They're not a punchline at all. But th- that's a game. I think if the Bills are who we thought they were, um, they're going to go in there and take care of business, and they didn't. Now that sets up for I want to see. They have the Saints at. Home. And we let them off the hook. They have the Saints at home this week, the 6-2 and two Saints. We just talked about them. If the Bills can win that game, and they've been very tough at home, um, then I think they're right back in a great, in a great spot. But their, their schedule gets tougher in the second half. There's still some winnable games, but I'm, I look at their schedule and I can't get them past nine wins. And so that I, We've seen the 9-7 and seven just missed the playoff by Buffalo before. Malarkey's first year, Marone's first year. I... I it, this might be one of those coming again, which would would be hopeful. 
but ultimately it would be what season number 18 out, mm-hmm. out of the playoffs i think what you're feeling right now that this is the pull of uh, reality the gravitational pull bringing the buffalo bills who parted ways with so much talent to build for the draft in the future and try to stockpile for the afc race afc east race going forward this is the gravitational pull of the bills coming back to earth i see i see nine wins as tops for them i think maybe an eight and eight finish would be more in line with what we'll see from the Bills. I should have mentioned at the top of the podcast, Nick, that our guest today is going to be Tony Baselli, the um, three-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tony now a member of the team's radio network um, and also does uh, does the Thursday night Westwood One game a weekly as well. I I'm intrigued by the Jaguars, and I want to talk to Tony. I want to dive into their success because finally Jacksonville looks like they've got a uh, a playoff-worthy team. I think it's going to be fun to watch them in the second half. And there's your there's your cat prowl. Kevin on his game today. Yeah. Totally on his game. Drop it like it's hot, buddy. Um, but we're going to have Tony Baselli in just a little bit. Um, Tony, obviously very well plugged in to the franchise, still lives in Pontra Vidra. Uh, suburban Jacksonville over by the water. And, you know, he's a guy that's seen now the whole 10-year struggle for that franchise to become relevant again. Haven't been to the playoffs since 07, since the Jack Del Rio era. And I was impressed because they go, they they finally go home and put a, a, a really nice product on the field at home at Everbank Field, beating the Bengals 23-7, um, winning two in a row, which they had been doing the win one, lose one thing mm-hmm. all season long. Um, that's going to be a fun story to watch to see if Jacksonville, one of those teams that hasn't been part of the dance in a long, long time, if it can get there. Um, another team I think we should talk about real quick is Carolina. You know, they they won at home against Atlanta 20-17. to 17. I thought it was interesting. There, there's now this swing back. Let's let Cam be Cam. He ran for 86 yards. Mm-hmm. He scored that key touchdown diving in. Is that sustainable? Uh, I need more from his passing arm. He only threw for 137 and no scores. Is that blueprint sustainable for Cam in Carolina? With, for the season? Yeah. Perhaps. Maybe another year or so? Okay. Long term? No. The bo- that big a body is just going to break down. If he tries to keep doing this year after year, eventually he's just not going to be able to move it around like he was. And then he'll rely on that big old long, strong arm, which we know to be a high 50% completion passer. He's not, you know, you're never going to see him 67, 68%. He's not a precision passer. He's he's got a big old cannon that's a little bit inaccurate. It, it, it'll probably get them, it could get them back to the playoffs. It's not going to get the job done long-term, though. I'm not even sure, you know, it's sustainable for one season. I mean, he took some pops the other day. He's got that shoulder. He stretched that ball out over the, broke the plane. Um, but he took, he took a, uh, you know, he took some punishment over mm-hmm. it. I, I'm, I'm thinking, yes, I understand they have to let him be a dual threat because that's when he's most effective. I don't think I want him running for 86 yards, though, and only throwing for 137. To me, that's not what worked like, you know, magic in 2015 when they went 15-1. I thought he he really threw the ball 
and open things up with his arms rather than just um, his legs that season. Their running game was more consistent. Yeah. It gave them a lot more. They had a healthier offensive line in 2015 as well. And he was the complete package. I think now, though, following the Benjamin trade, when Olsen gets healthy and rejoins them, they're going to have the right blend on offense. you got Devin Funches growing into the primary wide receiver role. You've got McCaffrey out of the backfield. Hopefully Jonathan Stewart can stay upright. Olsen coming back. It'll be a nice blend. It puts them in a good spot amidst a reasonably tough schedule to make a charge for that wild card spot or maybe challenge the Saints for the NFC South. And I wonder if uh, the Falcons might be... uh, I think they're toast. Bidding us farewell. I just think it's 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 evident now that nothing is really going to just fall their way this year. Everything's going to be difficult, and they they're not having the success they had last year with that high powered offense. I don't know how much of it is Steve Sarkeesian's play calling, but clearly they're losing confidence that you know that they can move the ball whenever they need to with Matt Ryan's right arm. The running game is now looking sluggish, um, despite Freeman and Coleman. And Freeman's getting a little nicked up. Yeah, I, I just have that feeling. You can call it whatever you want—a hangover from the Super Bowl, whatever. It's not happening, and it it feels a lot like Carolina headed for six and ten last season after mm-hmm. coming off the fifteen and one Magic Carpet ride of the year ago. NFC South makes it to the Super Bowl, can't capitalize. Super Bowl hangover. Yeah. Wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Obviously, Steve Sarkeesian told Julio Jones, though, like, hey, drop that ball in the end zone when you're wide open. Right? I mean, that was the easiest. That was a questionable play call from Sark. (laughs) 23 Spider Y X. Right. I don't uh, want my. Jones drop on three. I don't want my number one receiver wide open, Ah. waiting for the ball to descend in the end zone. Nope. With the game on the line Mm -hmm. in the fourth quarter. Sure. Um, So clearly, that's all Sark. Um, but you know, Atlanta, that, that play to me encapsulized what I'm talking about with Atlanta. It's just like never in a million years last year, does he drop that ball? It's just not happening. Something is, is, is faded that Atlanta is not going to turn this around. Can I ask you a question about a, another team, similar color pattern to the Panthers, uh, team with Super Bowl aspirations that kind of had a WTF jaw dropper of a game Sunday, the Seahawks. Yeah. How in the world, if you've got that defense and you get that lead in the fourth quarter and you have and you know all the Redskins need to score a touchdown in less than two minutes, how do you let Kirk Cousins, and mind you, Kirk Cousins, here's a shocking little stat, highest-rated quarterback in November the past five seasons, highest hmm. quarterback, he's got, a, I think, a 112 I saw recently on the NFL Network, which is pretty amazing. You like still, that? You like that? I do like that, in fact. How do you let two guys on consecutive 40-yard passes get behind you if you're the Seattle defense. What's weird is they had played so well. That defense had played so well. They got two sacks out of Dwight Freeney, who I they know. just signed, you know, like the the two weeks before. Right. They they looked like the quintessential they were going to win, you know, something like 12-7 or something crazy your 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 low-scoring Seattle defensive struggle. Mm-hmm. And then uh and and leave it to Russell Wilson to make two plays all game basically and and get a victory. Instead, Kirk Cousins makes the last play, hits Josh Doxson down at the one yard line, and Washington gets out of there. What an impressive win that was for Washington. I mean, four and four, they're probably not going to the playoffs. But that showed me something that Jay Gruden he still has that team, that's for sure. And, I, and let's not forget, Jim Tom Sula is the Washington defensive line coach. He knows a little something, the old San Francisco head coach and um, d- 
defensive line coach. He knows a little something about going into Seattle and, and, and having his guys play a very tough game. He does, and though the Skins are third in the NFC East right now, the schedule the rest of the way just reeks of 9-7. and seven. Almost they're gonna, there's right. going to be one loss earlier in the season that they're going to wish they could walk back. I think it's those playoffs. two losses to the Eagles that you know it's, it's going to put them behind yeah. uh, the eight ball, and they can't they can't dig out. Consistently competitive, always entertaining. Uh, they're never really out of a game, and I'll tell you what, going forward, ah, it's going to hurt if they lose Cousins too because they've got an arsenal of receivers there. Josh Doxson is maybe two more performances or two more catches like that away from become from starting to become a receiver we talk about. It yeah, right. he's starting to find that confidence level. Remember he had that huge drop, I'm forgetting against who it was. but they, Earlier, oh, he dropped a touchdown. Right, and people were like, oh, and, and he'll learn from that. Well, he looks like he has because he's starting to show up and, and Cousins is starting to trust in him. I'm going to ask the Red Sox fan in you this. Boston Red Sox win the 2004 World Series. They All open right. up free agency 2005 by signing of all people Edgar Renteria. I remember. Shortstop of the team you just beat for the World Series, first in 86 years, makes the final out against you in the right. 2004 World Series. There's something weird to me always about a team whose mojo or soul you just stole signing a player from that team. It feels like bad juju. So if you're the Seahawks, why, why on earth would you ever sign the kicker that missed the 26-yarder <laughs> in the playoffs to give you a playoff berth two years prior to be your kicker. Those three field goals just cost you a huge game at yeah, home against the yeah. Skins. Blair Walsh. We're talking Blair Walsh. Uh, the, well, I, I understand that. I do think he's a good kicker. I would have given him another shot as the Seahawks did. But, boy, you only have one of those games, and they gave it to him. He's got one mulligan. He better start hitting it from now on. Okay, we are joined now by Tony Baselli. Uh Tony, obviously the three-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowl Offensive tackle for the Jaguars, now a part of the team's radio network, play-by-play, color analyst, and also uh, does Westwood One Thursday night football games as well. Tony, good morning. Where are we um, joining you at this moment? I know you're in an airport. I don't know which one. Well, I'm in Indianapolis for the day, and then I'm heading to Arizona for the game tomorrow against the Seahawks. Okay. All right. What are you expecting from that game? Give me your quick 30-second expectation. It's a big game for Seattle coming off the loss. You know, it's a huge game. Uh, I mean, who would have thought the Rams would be 6-2 leading the division at this point after what they were last year? Uh, I think the interesting thing is is how Adrian Peterson, at 32 years of age, is going to recover on a short week after 37 carries. (laughs) And if he's... (laughs) You know, crazy. If he's not up to, yeah, it's not. If he's not up to it, I just don't think Arizona's going to be able to move the ball uh, with Drew Stanton as the primary focus of the offense. They need to get him going. And, and you, I mean, Don, you got to wonder can his body hang up? I mean, that's a tough duty if you're 25, let alone 32. Yeah, 37 carries. That was a career high for Adrian Peterson at age 32. Uh, Vikings never wanted to give him the ball quite that much. Bruce Arian does it in the third game that he's an Arizona Cardinal. So um, interesting. It makes for a uh, a little subplot for a quick week turnaround for Adrian Peterson. I, don't, I think he's the old – I don't think any back uh, – it's the most carry for a back at his age in the history of the NFL. Wow. I mean, we're in unprecedented territory there. Yeah, because yeah, Jim Brown never got to 32, right? Probably. Nope. <laughs> never got there. He probably retired at 29, 30 or something like that. But Tony, I wanted to talk to you, especially this week on the Cover 2 podcast, and my co-host, co-host uh, Nick Stevens is, is joining me here, about the Jaguars. Because, obviously, they've been a team 
that was stuck on that win one, lose one treadmill. They finally put two together. I was really impressed with what they did against Cincinnati. And you can talk about, you know, the Bengals are, are a bottom half of the league team this this year. But they sit Leonard Fournette for breaking a team rule of some sort or rules. They they Doug Marone, the head coach of the Jaguars, gets their the team's attention with that move. And then they go out and they still run for, what, 148 yards. Uh, the defense puts together i think one of their their best performances of a stellar season and that looked like a playoff team to me sunday at everbank field well defensively they are for sure i mean this is arguably the best defense in all of football and, and the addition of uh, darius in the middle is you saw immediate results of that uh, they were much better against the run that was a little bit of uh of concern they were they weren't great at stopping the run between the tackles at times but his addition and watching the tape, he was dominant. Uh, they got a pass rush, the two corners. I think it's the best duo in football. Jalen Ramsey, I mean, he got thrown out, I think, wrongly, but he got thrown out of the game. Is a dominant player. And they just shut people down. And when you have a defense that plays like that, turns people over, uh, they've, they've scored four touchdowns. I mean, it gives you uh, quite a luxury, and it allows you to play the type of offense that they're built to play, and that's run the ball and not ask Blake Bortles to do, do too much. And I think they're a team that if they're going to win close, they're going to win close games, and if they get a two-possession lead, I don't think teams are going to be able to come back from that. My big concern with them is what happens if they get down a couple right. a couple scores. I just don't know if offensively they're ready uh, to take that on yet. Uh, Blake Bortles is playing much better. Uh, but they're not ready to put the game on his shoulders. He is taking care of the football. He is, you know, I, I don't want to use the game manager, but he's he's doing exactly what's necessary when you have a running game and a good defense. Don't put us in short fields. He's not doing that this year for the most part. Um, you know, my favorite stat is, Tony, in five wins this year, this Jaguars team has allowed 30 points to their opponents. That's mind-boggling. That's six points a game. I don't think most fans are aware of that. But when they play well, as they have at five of the eight weeks or five of the eight games, they've played really, really well on defense. Oh, they've been dominant. Even in the two, uh, the two of the losses uh, against the Rams and the Titans, uh, it was because of special teams scores against them, uh, turnovers, uh, and short fields by their offense. Mistakes by Blake Bortles and, and uh on the offense side of the football, I mean, if they if they play clean in special teams and clean in offense, they are. I mean, they it's just tough to score points against. Them. It's tough to drive the ball against this defense, um, and they put some uh, some performances right now that you just shake your head at. I mean, a few weeks ago against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are a very good football team, they turned bent over five times, scored twice, and absolutely dominated the, the football game from start to finish. And it was. Uh, they're that type of defense. They get on top of you, and they can bend their ears back and rush the quarterback. They are tough to deal with. Yeah, hey, Tony, this is Nick Stevens. Uh, it may be a little early to make the comp, but a team that I may be sniffing a little bit of a comparison to may be, and the the season ended well for them, the 2000 Ravens, in so much as limiting quarterback play, take a couple of shots downfield at most. Now, granted, that, that was a one-back team, and... Jacksonville can come at you with three running backs now with Fournette and Ivory, and of course now they're getting something out of Yeldon. But when you've got three dominant guys in the line, good 
good linebackers and the safeties. Uh, this is a team that a lot of it's going to keep a lot of offensive coordinators up at night, and I can see the influence of Tom Coughlin positively on this team now. And I wanted to ask you specifically about the dynamic between Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin. It's obviously it's working well because they're getting the results where it counts in the win column. But it, how, how are how are the two of them getting along from your perspective? And uh, is Tom Coughlin leaning on Marone a bit too much, or uh, does Marone operate with the autonomy he needs to get the team going? I think it's a good balance. I, 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 it works because they're both very similar in their approach. Uh, you know, and Tom has done a good job uh, coming in and you know, as an overseer. But I give a lot of credit and. To Doug Marone and the way and, and like I said it works because they're so similar and he's a uh, tough-minded guy in the sense of that he wants to be physical play great defense and he wants to run the ball uh, and they have really physical camps which is the Tom Coughlin staple as well uh, and so because of you know how they work together I think one Tom's getting a lot of credit as he should but I think Probably a little bit unfairly, Doug's gonna, is getting overshadowed a little bit because he's doing a great job as well. And uh, I think the way he's managed the entire situation, I thought you saw it last week with the Leonard Fournette suspension. That's exactly, you know, when I played for Tom, something he would do. And Doug did it knowing the risk of sitting your best offensive player and what that would mean. But he was willing to make a statement saying, this is the type of team we are, the discipline and, and following the rules. And, and this is, you know, this culture I've said we're going to follow it uh and he did it at the risk of you know possibly losing a football game because your offense weapon sitting on the sideline so uh they've worked very well together it's going you know and the proof is in the pudding as they say you know five wins and and the way they're playing it's really uh the script has been set and I give you know Gus Bradley who's now the defense coordinator at the Chargers this I mean this defense was you know kind of his idea of of how they built it and built off the you know the model of Seattle and the type of defense they're going to play and and then Todd Walsh came in and picked it up uh, last year and it was a good defense they needed to add a couple pieces so this on the defensive side at least it started a few years ago and then now they've kind of built it up and then offensively I think with Doug's done uh, and Nathaniel Hackett the offense coordinator of the mindset of saying this is we are going to run the ball no matter what and we're going to be smart and we're going to let the strength of our team being the defense kind of carry us, and it's worked out well. Tony, I, irony is that Gus Bradley obviously coming in this week with the Chargers, um, and he's not there for the payoff. Um, I, I know Gus a little bit. It, there's no one in the league that doesn't respect and like him. Um, in retrospect, when you look back at the Gus Bradley era, how do you think it it will be remembered if this team has success after he leaves, but partly based on what his work there? Um, I think like most <laughs> in most scenarios, it'll be forgotten about because we're such a here and now. I mean, I don't think I mean people get frustrated and rightfully so. I mean, the team lost for so long, and that's I mean that's why Gus got fired. I mean, they weren't winning enough, and they weren't figuring it out on offense, and that's been the big difference. And, and and they started if you look back at it, they didn't spend a lot of money in the early days. They they saved salary cap space to get to, to build to build the uh, in a slow methodical pace, and it. Ultimately, they didn't win enough games for him to see it through. Uh, and so I don't think people will probably give him much credit at all. Uh, and that's just the, uh, that's the way it works. Yep. And uh, so, uh, it's, you know, I don't know if anyone really cares. You know, he obviously, 
he's a good coach, and everyone respects Gus, and he's done a, he's doing a great job in San Diego on that defense, and he was a part of of building this thing. Uh, and uh, but it, it happens that way sometimes. Yeah. Now Doug Marone's uh, taken he's done. He's putting his own stamp on it, uh, putting it, what how he wants the culture to be, and Doug's doing a great job, and uh, and uh, now they're having success. Tony, you were obviously a part of playoff teams in Jacksonville, and as a player, you you can't look a whole half season down the road. But the reality is, with this team's schedule, Chargers, at Browns, at Cardinals, Colts, Seahawks, Texans, at 49ers, at Titans, there's only two teams left on this schedule um, that have a winning record, and one of them is when Seattle comes in uh, to Jacksonville. That is going to raise the bar expectation now for this 5-3 and three Jacksonville team. Legitimately, where do you think the fans are and, and how much they've bought into the team, and where do you think the expectation level is, and is it at a playoff level in Jacksonville? Well, the fans already think we're going to be 13-3. and three. I, mean, <laughs> I think they, they go from, you know, the extremes of when you lose so much for so long and then all of a sudden you get some victories, and, and, and especially the way this defense is playing. Uh, I think they feel like, uh, you know, based on the schedule you just said, we're going to win them all. But the reality is, you know, so many things change in a heartbeat in the NFL. And there's injuries, there's uh, so many things that can happen. And it's still a team that's young, and it's a team that uh, offensively has improved it can come back from being behind. That you're going to be behind no matter how good your defense is. And so, so that's the next step. And, you know, you look at this past weekend, they, they dominated the Cincinnati Bengals, but they only scored 16 points offensively. And uh, so the margin can, you know, when they play you, when you play this style of football, the margin of error can be smaller uh, because you're not, you're not explosive offensively as far as scoring a lot of points. So it'll be interesting to see. I think they're a good team. I think the three teams, you know, you look at it, I think the Chargers will be a tough game. Uh, Phillip Rivers has always given them a lot of trouble. He has. Uh, Seattle Seahawks is going to be a tough game, and then the Tennessee Titans at the end is going to be tough. I, the AFC South is a two-team race right now. It's, it's the Jaguars, the Titans. I think the Colts and the Texans are done. I agree. And uh, I think it'll be – I think that New Year's Eve night game or New Year's Eve day game, it might be flex of the night. I know. Uh, because I think I think it's going to be for the division title in Nashville. That would be fun. That'll be, that'll be great. Everybody loves Week 17 playoff play-in games like they usually see with Dallas and Washington. Tony, real quick, last question. Obviously, we've seen in the AFC South great quarterbacks or a lack of great quarterback play like with the Texans and the Colts. Does a team in early, and the defense, as we've talked about, plus an awesome running game, is carrying the Jags. Blake Bortles, his play gets minimized a little bit, maybe to the benefit of the team. Uh, you know, he takes a lot of guff on in mainstream media and social media. But do you see if the Jags have a great season and have a deep playoff run, is he part of the team's future? It's a great question. I would have said in training camp there's no chance of going back. He would not be back, and they'd have a different quarterback. The way he has played this year, and he is improving week in and week out. And I thought he played really well against the Bengals. He had a great game against the Colts, who aren't very good. Uh, if he continues growing and improving as he is, I think there's a chance he's the quarterback moving forward. Uh, I, I don't think it's uh, definitive. And I think they're, that Tom Coughlin will sit back and let this thing play out. They have the luxury of having him under contract next year. They don't have to make any, you know, they don't have to franchise him. They don't have to sign him long-term. They don't do anything like that. They really sit back and see how this thing plays out. But I give Blake a lot of credit. You talk about scrutiny and being 
you know, criticized from everybody and nobody really believe in you, or at least not very many. I think Doug's done a great job of inspiring confidence in him. Uh, I give him credit. He's hung in there and he's, he keeps on working hard and, uh, he's doing a nice job as of late. Tony, thanks so much for the time. Ex Jaguars offensive tackle Tony Baselli, now a member of the team's radio network, on his way to do the Westwood One Thursday night football game. Tony, thanks for the insight. Thanks for uh, the Jacksonville uh, perspective of things. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks, Tony, for the time. That was Tony Baselli, the Jaguars' former All Pro offensive tackle, now a member of the team's radio network, also does NFL games for Westwood One on Thursday nights. He is headed there as we speak for the Thursday night game this week. Tony, thanks for the Jacksonville perspective and the NFL insight. We will be watching your work from here on. One thing I really appreciated about the interview, Don, is you could you could hear the enthusiasm that he still has some heart in Jacksonville and roots for them, but at the same time was open-minded, not necessarily in his criticism, but in opinion and perspective realistic, on the team as well. I... He's very realistic. It sounds like, hey— We'll be happy to make it back to the playoffs, and the future is bright. And he's got every right to brag on that defense because it has some teeth. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that he admitted, you know, preseason, Bortles, no way, no how. I think that was the conventional wisdom, you know. Right. There's no way Bortles comes back. They are already were regretting picking up his fifth-year option, it looked like. That was a mistake. But two months later, he is taking care of the football. They are winning with defense, running game, and a a fairly game manager like Blake Bortles, and suddenly, yeah, you don't know if mm-hmm. if that won't open the door. If they make the playoffs and they win a game or or so, um, that's that's now an open question where it wasn't, and he admitted that, and I thought that was pretty honest. Listen, I I love me some Blake Bortles memes and funny Twitter about Blake Bortles as much as the next fan with a wicked sense of humor. But at the same time, look, he doesn't have a true number one wide receiver. He gets Allen Robinson back next year. Right. You bring Dee Westbrook along, and why teach the system and scheme to another guy when you got someone who gets it there to begin with? So maybe it's not too early to say <laughs> that Blake Bortles may be sticking around, but got a couple other questions on the front of is it too early that I wanted to run by you. Don, would you say it's too early to say Ben McAdoo, Jerry Reese, and maybe even Eli Manning could all be done in nope. the Meadowlands. No, nope, I don't think it's too early. I, I, I'm i getting vibes of the Ray Hanley era, the last time they had a two Super wow. Bowl ring head coach to replace. Bill Parcells was gone. Ray Hanley, his right-hand man, his chosen one, comes in and goes 14-18. and 18. Now, this started much better for Ben McAdoo, but it has gone horribly wrong at 1-7, and and that stadium being half empty and angry. I, look, I think Reese has gone first, McAdoo second, and I think it's time to look down the road post-Eli, and you're going to have that high draft pick. Too early to say that the Lions are in the playoff mix and the Packers, it's woe, pack, woe. They're done. No, it's not too early. As I said earlier, I think this Lions schedule breaks really well for them. And I think the Lions, as weird as it sounds, being two games behind Minnesota, might might strangely be the favorite to win that division. And I think the pack is done. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is coming back, and I think this is a lost year in Green Bay. Bummer. Looking to the NFC West, is it too early to welcome Jared Goff to the elite quarterback club and too early to start Garoppolo behind that offensive line. I, elite is one of those words that I kind of laugh at because the whole Joe Flacco, Eli Manning elite thing. I, I don't know. It's a moving target. I know this. 
they got exactly what they hoped to get out of them. They just had to endure this redshirt season with the Jeff Fisher coaching staff. But uh, Wentz was perfect for Philly. Goff is perfect for the Rams. Sean McVay has done a overnight makeover on that young man's game. So I, I guess he's not elite, but he is on the ascent. And Garoppolo, what are they waiting for? I mean, I get it. It's a complicated offense that Kyle Shanahan runs, but it, he better be in after the bye because after this week the Niners go on their bye and then they come back. And I, I want to say they play Seattle maybe, but mm-hmm. anyway, it better be Jimmy G time at that point. Yeah, but if you got that asset for the for – a, a Groupon level price, or so you think for that second rounder. Do you want to ding it up, or do you want to just hold on to it for the next season? Do you want to go in sixteen? I got no problem with that. Well, you I get, no, that's infamy for a Forty ers franchise that still can, has a little pride. You can trade that pick to the Browns, and they'll squander it next year. Good point. And finally, to the AFC West, is it too early to say that poor quarterback play will do in this number one defense of the Broncos? And speaking of quarterback play, will it be quarterback play that bounces the Raiders back into the playoff mix? I actually think that the Broncos season has been doomed by the quarterback play. So I, I think that's a story that has real legs. Um, and I I wrote this on Sunday, but I think the Broncos defense is a little overrated. They're not 2015 level of dominant. Um, but, yes, they, they were allowing the fewest yards allowed in the, in the league, and so they got the number one. But that defense didn't play well the other day. Uh, Aqib Talib got beat. I saw some breakdowns. So, yeah, this season in Denver is um, at 3-1. and one, They were having the time of their life, but not so much anymore. Um, as far as the Raiders, I don't think the Raiders are back yet, no. I think losing five out of six and, and, and then finding a way to win, that's not enough. I think it has a feel of a season in Oakland that is just going to be frustrating from start to finish after that 2-0 and start. So I don't think the Raiders are back in the mix at all. It's good to see Marshawn Lynch running with a purpose again, though. Even if they don't make it back in, maybe they finish 9-7. and seven. They're a tough out the rest of the way, and they turn their heads kind of like Washington does with those Eagles losses and look at a couple of those missed opportunities earlier in the season and say, ah, it's just if we just get that game, that... It feels like that season in Oakland that, you know, they came in with such high expectations only to take a couple steps back, but it might benefit them next year. And maybe, you know, then they look back and they say, we just... We weren't as ready as we thought. That is another Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Nick, week, week 10 in the NFL coming up. We've got some decent games. I, I'm not in love with this schedule. I think I think Saints at Buffalo is good. I think Dallas at Atlanta should be fun. And then, of course, New England at Denver. Sure. Night. I may even watch me a little Vikings-Washington uh, at 1 o'clock. All right. Join us next week. We will be back here. Yeah, I don't some... have red dogs, so. <laughs> I am on Twitter at, at Don Banks. You can find me there. At Ahoy Nick Stevens right here as well. We thank Tony Pazelli, our guest today on the Cover 2 podcast. Talk to you next week. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the runner. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.